Well, yes, welcome to the third week of Advent, or as Tamil and I have been kind of calling it, the second week of Advent, because we are about a week behind. But no fear, come back on Christmas Eve, and we will go through the whole thing once again for you. We'll go through hope, and we'll go through peace, and joy, and love, and we'll talk about the Jesus candle in the middle. And uh, so that, that's the plan, is to have a Christmas Eve service. We uh, want to remind you that that's what we'll do. Not a Christmas Day service. With Christmas uh, landing on uh, Sunday this week, you might wonder, should we meet or not? Uh, that we'll, we'll let you find good people to be with on Sunday morning that day. And so we'll just have a Christmas Eve service. Some of the children will be busy unwrapping presents, I'm sure. So uh, that'll be a good time to uh, have uh, that sort of thing going on. Um, Yes, it is the third week of Advent, but we're going to talk a little bit about uh, peace today. That's where I want us to go with the message today is we're going to look at peace. And uh, I've been reading a lot of uh, Advent devotionals in the last little while. It seems like every organization that I subscribe to wants to send me an Advent devotional. Does anybody else get a lot of Advent devotionals? Yeah, it's great. Uh, there's so many resources out there. But one of the ones that I've been following is uh, uh, Advent devotionals from a group called New Leaf. They're a church planting uh, organization and that sort of thing. And all through the Advent season, they've kind of been focused on this concept of certainty versus mystery. And I think that's a good theme for us to remember. And we're going to talk about it in the context of peace and how, how we have peace with God in the midst of what can we be certain about and what is still mystery in our relationship with God? So that's where we're going today. But um, I, I want us to um, think about, we've been through a lot in the last little while. And there's certain things that we're, we're still not sure about and that sort of thing. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, uh, I was actually helping with another transitional role in um, early 2020. And I was helping at this church, and I had people in the church coming up to me and saying, you know, we just need to read Psalm 91 and pray over the congregation Psalm 91. And then they would, they would quote a portion of it to me, and, and here's what a portion of Psalm 91 verses 1 through 3 says. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save us from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Now, of course, the emphasis there is God will save you from the deadly pestilence. And, and you know, we were wondering about that. You know, we were wondering about, will God protect us from this COVID-19 then I also had other people coming up to me saying, remember Psalm 91 was the psalm that the devil quoted to Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's interesting thought. The devil quoted to Jesus, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil says, you don't, God will protect you. And Jesus replies, do not put the Lord to your test, to the test. 
right there is kind of the seeds of the tension I think we feel as Christians. It's the tension we feel in the churches, but it's also kind of that internal tension we feel. We'd love to think God's just going to protect us from every danger in the world. We'd love to think that if we just rest in the shelter of his wings, we're going to be safe from everything. And yet we know that's not totally true, right? And we know that there are things that will come upon us. And anybody that's had difficulty in this life, and I look out on this crowd and I know that I'm seeing people who've had challenges in life. We know that we won't be protected from everything. We know that we can't jump off of a building and say, God, you're going to protect me, right? <laughs> we know that that's not the way God works. And yet that's kind of the conflict we sense inside of us. And I'm a bit of a poster child for inner conflict. Let me just admit this to you here. Uh, I love certainty in certain things. Um, I'm, I studied uh, molecular biology and genetics for over 15 years, and I love science. And I love a good science experiment that has a yes or no answer. Uh, we did them all the time in the lab, and now you do them too. You didn't know that you were scientists, but every time you do one of those rapid COVID tests, you're being a scientist, aren't you? You didn't know that you had to do um, benchside uh, science in your at your kitchen table, but that's what you're doing. Because those little tests are basically a little science experiment. They have a hypothesis. The hypothesis is, I think I have COVID. <laughs> and it has a variable. You're going to take a swab from your nose, and it's either going to have virus on it, or it's not going to have virus on it. That's the variable. It has a control. There's that little line on the strip that says, this test is working. And that proves to you that the system works right, and that's the control. And then it has a test that tells you whether or not you have virus, right? And those little tests are pretty good. They, I've played around with them. I've tried to cheat them a little bit by just doing a, a light swab. and They work. They're pretty good little uh, tests. And I love that kind of a science test. I love the answer of yes or no. And, and I love that kind of certainty that we get with science. But I'm also, and I said I'm, I'm the poster boy for conflict in this area, because I'm also a person of faith. And I'm a person uh, who's studied theology. I'm a student of theology. And I know that there's other questions that are not quite so easy to answer. I know that there's questions that we have in our mind that are a little tougher to answer than those science questions. Um, there is no test strip for the presence or absence of God in a particular situation. There is no test strip that says God exists or God doesn't exist. I think if there was such a test for whether God is in a moment or not, Mary, the mother of Jesus, might have appreciated one when the angel came to uh, tell her that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. Uh, we're going to read that passage together and talk about it, but Mary must have wondered, what is this that's going on? L let's read what, what goes on in her life. Let's read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. 
in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so her, her relative Elizabeth is pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Right about then, I can just picture Mary whipping out her Holy Spirit Geiger counter and testing this guy. Like, that's my imitation of a Geiger counter. Um, We used to use them in the lab, and that's kind of what they sounded like. But wouldn't Mary have liked to have had something like that to just kind of test, who is this guy? Is he really from God or not? Um, That must have been so crazy. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asks the question. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, the way Luke tells the story, I'm sure it's very accurate. He researched it well, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to put the important things in there. But all we hear is one question from Mary, and then she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, she may have only asked one question, but she must have had other questions in her mind. She must have wondered what this was going to be like. Um, One of the Advent devotionals I read this week, by, written by somebody by the name of Amy Bratton. She said, Mary knew that God knew her and loved her deeply, but she didn't know all that would unfold, all that would pierce her heart as Simeon the prophet would speak over her soon after Jesus' birth. So even if you fill in the blanks with our own whole human experience, The limitations of the biblical text means that we cannot know Mary's internal experience. Yet, Mary's tender consent in the face of mystery laid the foundation for what would come. So, Mary learned to be comfortable, at peace, with the mystery of the situation. She was going to submit to this plan, even though she must have had a lot of questions. She must have wondered what this meant. On the other hand, let's look at another biblical character and his response to uh, the Son of God coming into the world. Uh, Let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and then Matthew, uh, that same chapter, we'll just skip down to verses 16 through 18. 
After Jesus was born in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We can see the tenting of his hands, can't we? (laughs) I'm going to worship him. No, that was not Herod's plan. Let's skip down to verses 16 through 18. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod, he listens to the same kind of news that the son of God is about to be born. And what does he do? He turns to violence and and to things that he could control. Again, the same um, devotional writer, she says, in contrast to Mary, King Herod doubled down on his anchors of certainty. He held power, and he could send out his military force to protect his position of power. Yet his violent acts to defend his place had little effect because Jesus came to subvert King Herod's realm of power in ways that Herod never imagined. In the face of uncertainty, Herod clung to the things he knew, and violence, coercion, and insecurity resulted. So there we have the contrast. One response to the Son of God coming into the world leads to submission and leads to peace. Even if Mary didn't understand everything, she had peace in her soul that God would take care of her in the midst of this. And the other response to the Son of God coming into the world was to double down on his certainties and hang on to his power. And what did that lead to? That led to violence and it led to uh, lack of peace. So how do we respond to the Lord coming into our world. Mary chose to live by faith in all its mystery, uncertainty, and precariousness. Uh, Christian Wyman, in a uh, book called My Bright Abyss, says, to say that one must live in the uncertainty doesn't begin to get at the tenuous, precarious nature of faith. The minute we begin to speak with certitude about God, he's gone. We praise people for having strong faith, 
But strength is only part of that physical metaphor. One also needs flexibility. Faith is nothing more than a motion of the soul toward God. It's not the same as belief. Belief has objects. Christ was resurrected. God created the earth. Faith does not. Now, let me unpack, I think, what a guy like Christian Wyman is saying there. He's saying faith is a difficult concept to just kind of hang on to. Belief, we do have things that we believe. Belief is important. We believe in the, that God exists. We believe in the, the resurrection. We believe in the things that we know to be true. Um, we believe in the Trinity. We believe that God created humans in his image. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. But once we believe that, we still have to have faith in our God who is behind all of those. So once we put our faith in the one who is worthy of our faith. All right, well, how should we live? That's all well and good to talk about faith. It's all well and good to talk about how we, a lot of things are uncertain. How do we live out this life of faith in our real day-to-day lives? It would seem, like Mary, we need to be comfortable with a degree of uncertainty. We need to be comfortable with saying, yes, I trust God. And yet, I don't know what all that's going to look like. We begin to ask questions of God, and yet we just trust him that he will be there in the midst of it all. In um, 2012, I remember having a day where I, I said to God, God, I'm having some of these doubts in my head. I'm having some of these questions about who you are and how you're at work in my life right now. But then I said something else to him. I said, I'm going to go off on a three-day retreat And while I'm at that three-day retreat, I'm going to leave my doubts at the gate. And I remember walking up to the retreat center and and doing this kind of pulling uh, my doubts out of my pockets and laying them there at the gate of the retreat center. And I said, God, I'm going to leave all my doubts behind. And for three days, I'm going to live as 100% without doubts as I possibly can. I spent three days in a retreat center, and I, I had some great times of prayer and worshiping God. And even when I couldn't necessarily sense his presence, I trusted that he was there in the midst of it all. It was a, it was a significant moment in my spiritual uh, development. And when I left the retreat center, I remember saying to God, you know, God, I think I'm going to leave those doubts at the gate for a little while longer. And I walked out of the gates of the uh, retreat center. And I said, I'll I'll leave them there for a few days. And uh, I found that after a few days, I still didn't want to pick them up. And, you know, a few more days, and I still didn't want to pick them up. And after a while, I just kept on living with fewer and fewer of those doubts. Now, do they ever creep back in? I, I think all of us know that doubts creep back into our brains. And yet, we can trust the God who is the God of truth and love and grace. I think, I think that's a big part of what Mary teaches us. That in the midst of not really knowing what the future looks like, we can trust 
in God. In uh, 2019, I interviewed a number of people uh, about miracles. I went around and I I said, tell me about your experiences of miracles. And I interviewed a number of different people who had either had something that they would say, yes, this was a miracle, or, or they said, I think it was a miracle. I'm not sure. And one of those was a guy by the name of John Selback. John Selback was a, uh, a man who had had a healing miracle of being healed of deafness when he was five years old. And I interviewed him on the phone at the time. And then just this past September, I was able to meet him in person. John Selback today is a uh, 40-something uh, attorney, uh, lawyer in uh, California. And uh, I got a chance to meet him, and he, he still points back to that healing miracle in his life and says that was a touchstone moment in his life. He says that moment has driven him for the rest of his life. He's uh, a busy lawyer, and yet he's also part uh, a youth leader at his church. He also does um, podcasts, uh, video podcasts, where he helps students come to faith with Christ and that sort of thing. And that moment in time was a touchstone moment in his life. I look back at my experience at that retreat center as one of those touchstone moments in my life. And I want to ask you, what are those touchstone moments in your life? What are those moments that you look back on and say, that's where my faith was anchored well? What are some of those moments where you say, yeah, that's an important moment in my life. It may not be as spectacular as a healing from deafness. It might just be that day that you came to faith with, uh, with somebody in your life that led you to faith. It may be some moment in time when you were really wrestling with God and God came through for you. But I want to encourage us to go back to those moments of faith And trust that our God who worked with us at that point is still working with us today. I think that's what Mary teaches us in this moment. She trusted God, even though she didn't know all the things that would come. She didn't know, but there were enough touchstone moments in her life. That moment with the angel was certainly one of them. And we hear her pondering these things. She must have pondered when the shepherds came to visit her and said, we just had this amazing experience out in the fields with these angels that came to visit us. She must have pondered these things when the magi came and visited her and said, we have some gifts for this king. She must have pondered these things when she saw Jesus turn water into wine. And... Certainly, she must have pondered things as she saw her son carrying his cross to Golgotha. But I think Mary teaches us that she had enough moments in her life to trust that God would be faithful in the rest of them. I believe that's what Mary teaches us, and I encourage us to believe that we can have those moments in our life that will lead us Uh, to our deeper faith in Christ. Let me pray with you today. God, life in this world is challenging. 
I look over this congregation and I know hurts that are there, um, people that are caring for others. There are challenges of life. There are physical difficulties. There are painful losses that people have suffered in their lives. And God, a lot of that we don't understand. And yet, we can have peace with you. We can know that you are worthy of our trust. Even in the dark moments, we can trust that you are there in the midst of them. We can have that quiet submission like Mary had that said, be it done to me, as you say, I am your servant. I am your servant. May we live that life that Mary lived. May we hang on to those moments in life that remind us of your faithfulness in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.